0: So as we uh, close out our series of journey, um, I I just want to remind everybody, if you haven't been here every week for it, is that the big reason for the journey and us being a pathway driven church versus a program driven church is because we really feel like life and faith is not linear. It's not like a ruler, right? And sometimes in our faith journey, we can say, well, I became a Christian when I was 10, 15, 35, but now I'm 57 and I'm not as far as I want to be. When in the reality, if you read Exodus at all, uh, you kind of, you read Exodus and you see the Israelites going from uh, captivity to freedom, right? From Egypt to Canaan, and you get a sense that it should have taken them only a few weeks or maybe a month or so, but it took them 40 years. And so life is less like a ruler, it's less like a straight line, and it's more like a slinky, right? It's a bad summer vacation. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, Moses is like, stop asking me, we're not there yet, right? This is before air conditioning, right? And so we understand that while you may want to be here, the reality is you could be here, but in that reality that there are things that happen in our lives that are good, bad, ugly, and different, that are things that we have to sort of step into and ask, you know, while I'm not where I want to be, what's really happening in my journey with Jesus? And so today we're going to close out our series by talking about uh, this idea of Jesus inviting us to journey, to journey out, and when we do that, I want to share a quick little parable. It's not in the Bible. Jesus never told this story, I don't think. But here we go. Uh, there's a story that goes this way: There are two young fish swimming in the river, and an old fish passes them. And the older fish tells the young, the young boys and the younger fish, "Hey, how's it going? You having a good day? How's the water?" And the old fish swims off. And the young fish asks his buddy, What's he talking about? What is water? It's this idea that what we are most surrounded by and most consumed by, we are not really aware of. And one of the things that makes it difficult to be a Jesus follower in America is this idea of our consumption, our self centeredness, that life is a story about us uh, and we are the main character. Uh, I'm guilty of that (laughs) as well. There's an English English professor, writer, poet, who gave a commencement speech a few years ago before he passed in a small college uh, in Ohio, and he talks about this very idea. And I just want to read a little excerpt from his commencement speech when David Foster Wallace says this, Everything in my own immediate uh, experience supports my deep belief uh, that I am the absolute center of the universe the realest, most vivid, and most important person in existence. It's pretty, pretty harsh, right? Pretty honest. Uh, we rarely think about this sort of natural, basic, self-centered self-centeredness centered self because it's so socially repulsive. But it's pretty much the same for all of us. It's our default setting hardwired into, a, into our boards at birth. It's so prevalent, he's saying, that we're not even really aware of it. Are you aware of it? Am I aware of it? Well, that's easy. No, I'll prove it to you. I get home after a long day of work, right? What does a pastor do all day? I pray, do jumping jacks and pray some more, right? (laughs) And then I get home and, uh, you know, Crystal usually cooks because we want to eat good food and all I can do is put things in a microwave. And I eat dinner and uh, Crystal's like, hey, can you go get us some ice cream? Or we ran out of toilet paper or you need deodorant. You ran out of it like a week ago. Go to the store and rage wells up in me, because it's cold in New England, you guys, right, right, newbie statement, and I don't want to go outside, I don't want to go to Target and deal with those people, right, I don't want to, I don't want to do that, but it's her world, and I'm glad to live in it, so I get my coat on, and I uh, jump in my car and head to Target, and let's just say on the way to Target, somebody cuts me off, right, and I'm saying non-pastoral things in my head, because I'm human, and then I pull into the Target parking lot, and you didn't know that? Pastors are humans? Oh, man, we should hang out more. And then, uh, I, then I go to Target, and there's that one sacred spot that's not, it's like right next to the handicapped spot, and I'm, and I'm turning, and another, you know, like a soccer mom's turning in, she's got a van full of kids. And I don't mean to be derogatory about that. Well, this is my last sermon I'm preaching. And they, and they, and, 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 and they pull in, right? And you're just like, ah, I can't catch a break, right? And then you go inside Target, And people walk so passively, they don't know what they want out of life, let alone in the chip aisle, right? You're getting a a sense of my personality. It's like, if you're not walking with purpose, why are you walking at all? Pray for my wife. (laughs) Right? But what I don't know, or what I don't care to know, is the person that cut me off may be trying to get to the hospital because their loved one was just in a car accident. Or the mom who pulled into the this parking spot, that should have my name on it, um, has four kids under the age of seven, or five, or whatever, that she has to get out and haul into Target, uh, because it's, she doesn't have time, because after work she's filing divorce papers. Or I go inside a Target, and the people that uh, don't know that I'm there, right, because they all exist for my existence, uh, are actually, they actually walk slowly because, if you hear last week, they've taken the inward journey, and they actually like life, and they're going at a leisurely pace. But I'm so b- hurried to get home that everything tends to annoy me and frustrate me. We, we swim in a culture of self-centeredness, and yet we're completely unaware of it most of our days, and we don't even want to be aware of it. Because like I say things like, don't you know I'm doing something for my wife? Quit cutting me off in traffic. Right? That, that's why this discipleship pathway of journey out is so critical, friends. Um, and today we're going to talk about what does it look like to be a church that steps into this idea that to journey out means we're supposed to love and serve where we live, but also to explore uh, our world. Jesus himself lived the journey out life. That may or may not come as a surprise to you. And I want to take you to a text in John 13. If you have your Bibles or the Bible app, you can flip there or turn there. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, So if you're new and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, don't worry. We'll put that on the screen for you. Before we get to John 13, uh, I want to give us sort of a a framework uh, for how Jesus lived and existed. I don't know if you know this or not, but you actually have permission to order your days counselors call these boundaries. You can say yes to things. You can say no to things. You are welcome to disappoint people. Usually disappointment comes when um, people aren't used to other people having boundaries. And so Jesus lived his way, how he wanted to order his days. And we kind of get a glimpse of that in the New Testament, right? In Mark 10, 45, Mark writes, for even the son of man, talking about Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Mark is sort of getting stories about this man who claimed to be God. And so if he were in an English lit class or a history class turning in his term paper, this would be the thesis of his paper, that he wrote Mark to tell us that Jesus came not to, um, not, to not, not to be served, right, but to serve, to swim upstream, that American culture of Self-centeredness, and to give his life as a ransom for many, and so if you like Seattle and rainy days and songs in E minor and decaf coffee, uh, you'd love the Gospel of Mark because Mark portrays Jesus as the suffering servant, right? Mark, Mark is always writing the the adverb immediately. This happened to Jesus immediately. This happened, but but Mark is the gospel writer that takes the most amount of time and care. Talking about the Passion Week, the last seven days of Jesus's life, which is sort of the season we're in, leading up to, leading up to Easter, and in Philippians 2.8, Paul says, "Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself, or he, but refers to Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming uh, by becoming obedient even to death on a cross." And so we get the why of Jesus existed in Mark, but now we get to how. There's a beautiful word. Uh, in the Greek language called kenosis. And that's what Paul is talking about, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. It's the Greek word for um, when somebody empties themselves out for the betterment of other people. So Jesus came not to be served, not to consume resources, but to give of himself, the ultimate resource, right? And how did he do that? Well, Paul is telling us that Jesus's politics were kenosis or kenotic politics. What, what do I mean by that? Well, like today in the New Testament, everybody wanted to defend Jesus. And Jesus, uh, a lot of people misunderstood Jesus like they do today. And a lot of people in the, in the uh, first century, even the disciples, thought that Jesus' kingdom was a physical, political kingdom that through military and guns and war and violence, uh, the kingdom of God would overthrow the M- Roman Empire. And so while Jesus is doing his thing, Roman, Rome doesn't really care about Jesus. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of crazy people in the first century that had these like, sort of guerrilla ideology that they're going to overtake the Roman Empire. So up until Jesus was crucified, Rome didn't really... I mean, there's a bu- Jesus was a dime a dozen. Uh, but what Paul is saying here in Philippians 2 is that Jesus did not come that you would defend him. Jesus did not come that you would support his brand of hope. Right? We're in a political uh, election year, and so people are hoping that you will vote or reelect their brand of hope. Jesus did not come to do that. Jesus did not come to promote himself, he came to empty himself for the betterment of me, of you, of people you don't like. <laughs> people you're different than, people that aren't here because they're sleeping in on a Sunday and church is the last place they're going to go, especially on daylight savings time. Jesus lived his politics by enter- emptying himself out so that other people could thrive. Do we mean that in the social justice setting? Yep. We also mean that in the salvation setting because what Jesus did for us, we could not do for ourselves, is die for our sin to be the scapegoat. We commit the crime, Jesus does the time. Jesus became what got us into trouble, our sin, to get us out of trouble. And he does that through his politics and the way he lived his life, through this idea of kenosis, by emptying himself out for the betterment of other people. Do we, I'm just asking you to think about this, do we as a church live the journey out lifestyle? where we are emptying ourselves out for the betterment of other people? Do people get scheduled in your calendar to have coffee with? Do we go out of our way to love and serve, not just our community, but one-on-one at the relational level? This is the way of Jesus, because the way of Jesus is the way of the Via Dolorosa. What is the Via Dolorosa? It means the way of the cross. After you were brutally beaten by Roman guards, they'd put a a cross on your back, and tell you to walk to your execution site. That pathway, that road that you would walk down was called the Via Rosa. It's still there today if you would like to go see it. And Jesus, interestingly enough, was crucified outside of Jerusalem, which kind of makes sense because in Leviticus 4, the high priest puts the sin on the scapegoat and tells the scapegoat to leave the community. Actually, one of the scapegoats would be kicked off a cliff, you believe it or not. Why? Because it resembles the holiness of God in the midst of his people and sin not being in the presence of his people. And so they would put uh, a red ribbon around uh, I'm just, this is all free. this is not even in my notes. I'm just kind of grooving right now. They put, put a red ribbon around the goat and they would kick, they would not, well, they would take the goat out, one of the priests would. It symbolized the sin would leave the camp. It's not, it's not a coincidence that Jesus unlike other people who suffered capital punishment in the first century, was crucified outside of Jerusalem. Why? Because he did this for our sin, so that we could have peace with God. Did did Jesus do this because, man, he seems like a nice guy? No, he did it because who he is at his core is somebody that empties himself out for the betterment of other people. And we kind of go, that makes sense, right? Because we still talk about Dorothy Day, Martin Luther King, We still talk about people as the parks, people that live from the back of the line in in the sense of they they live their life for the betterment and the good of other people. For some reason, that's intriguing to us. And I kind of go, yeah, because we're made in the image of God. And it makes sense that it's inviting to us when we read about and see when people empty themselves out for the betterment of a society, a group of people, or even a person in First Peter one fifteen through sixteen, Paul says, Paul says this about Jesus. I promise we'll get to the foot washing in John. I just had to. I just felt like I should share that with you. Uh, take it for whatever you want. In First Timothy one, uh, Paul says here's a trustworthy thing. In other words, please listen to this. Right. In other words, hey, I know you read the Bible and some stuff is boring. You skip over, but p- p- but don't run over this or don't don't rush past this, right? Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. I almost ran past that. The patience of God for us to come to the realization that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. I just find that really beautiful. All right, moving on. As an example for those who would believe in him and, and receive eternal life. Paul often, when he talks about Jesus, talks about Christmas before he gets to Easter. He talks about his humanity before he gets to his divinity. In other sections of Timothy and Titus, Paul labels Jesus, or when he talks, writes about Jesus, he says, Jesus Christ, says some stuff, and then he says, Christ Jesus. Now, why does he do that? What's the literary ninja move that he's doing? Well, he's showing us (laughs) before the crown of righteousness in heaven comes the crown of thorns in Jerusalem. Before glory comes suffering. Before you can experience full life, somebody has to empty their life out so that you may come and find it. And that's the gospel. Like, that's the heartbeat of why we journey out and, and love and serve where we live in Salem and surrounding communities, but also why we explore our world. And from my experience in following Jesus since I was 10, but even, like, professionally as a pastor, people tend to leave the faith or leave the church not because of cognitive reasons, although that is true, but because of emotive reasons, right? A divorce, um, a, a tough season, and there's a sense that, like, we tend to equate, if God loved me, why would I, wh- like, why would, why would I be suffering? And I kind of go, and I want to be sensitive about this, because I'm still figuring this out. I don't have all the answers here. I kind of go, how do we get that fruit of the spirit of long-suffering, right, uh, obedience in the same direction over a period of a length of time? How do we bear that fruit if everything is amazing and everything is good and everything is awesome, Right, because you kind of get the sense that like if you carry the ball, you're going to get tackled. Like if your leader was crucified, his disciples, some of them were crucified, that maybe the way of Jesus and the way of discipleship is a long stretch, a long walk down the Via Dolorosa. And maybe for us, what, what happens is it's this beautiful um, uh, like unraveling. I believe it's in Philippians, Paul talked about this idea of like, dying to ourselves, where we can find real life. That doesn't happen <laughs> if we're continually swimming in this river of our own self-centeredness. You'll die, and, and you'll go to heaven, sure, but man, that, that, that eternal life, that, um, that stuff that Jesus says is for later, but also for the here and now, man, that, that's stuff that you're going to miss out on if you don't step into this idea of journey out and like as a Christ follower, what what it means, not all of it, but a piece of the diamond, what it means is that that I am to empty myself out for the betterment of other people. So if I'm married, I'm emptying myself out for the betterment of my spouse. If I have kids, for my kids, for my job, for my employees. Why? Because I'm a nice guy? No, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'd rather serve myself. But yet Jesus compels me that the way in which he lived his life is far more beautiful and far more inviting than the ways that I have tried to make my own life work. Now let's get to John 13. Jesus uh, would have done this about this time. The last seven days of Jesus' life, his life is ending. He, he knows that he's making a beeline to the cross, and he wants to do something for his disciples to remember him by. And not just remember him or memorialize him, but that they would go and do it. And so he begins to wash the disciples' feet. In John 13, 1, John says, or this what we read, it was just before the Passover festival, something that they've been, the Jews have been doing from the Old Testament, right? The days of Leviticus. Uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Like, don't, like, don't miss that, right? Like, in our worst days, Jesus loves us to the end of ourselves, right? And and that's a beautiful statement because we often don't want to find Jesus until we come to the end of ourselves. Um, That's a spiritual direction statement. We usually say things like, I've run out of options, right? It's, It's sort of the same thing. That when we come to the end of ourselves, we still find that God loves us, even though in a few days, right, Jesus is gonna be, kissed, and betrayed, and crucified. And so he wants to do this thing for his disciples. And wouldn't you know it, you'll identify with his parents if you have middle school or high school boys, or if you've raised a son. <laughs> Luke twenty two twenty four 24, dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Right? Isn't that, isn't that great? That's, so, that's what I love about the Bible. It's so human. It's so us. Hey, guys, um, I'm going to suffer the worst form of capital punishment I want to do something for you, so uh, to memorialize our time together, but also to empower you to do it to the world. And like two of the disciples, like, "Hey, do you do you think I can sit on the Jesus seat?" Right? We're swimming. We're swimming in the river of our own self-centeredness, and the people that make it in the Bible don't even realize it. We don't even realize it, friends. Right? Here's the reality: if we wanted to sit in the Jesus seat, as his disciples were arguing about or wondering about. We don't really know what we're asking, because the way of Jesus is the way of suffering. One Catholic priest said it this way, if you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. Right? In other words, to follow Jesus means it's a continual daily dying to yourself. In John thirteen three, John says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, here's a crazy concept, right? If Jesus is God, which we believe at RCC that He claimed to be and that He is, then Jesus was a steward in real time of God's power. He was a manager and steward of God's power. I, I didn't have a f- reference for that till I was like studying for this this week. When you think of stewardship and management, you think of like money, but there's this other, there's this concept of like. What would you do if you had God's power? (laughs) Social media would tell us we wouldn't do a lot of nice things, would we? Because we're not often the most important person in the room. Anybody ever uh, waited tables before? I did in college at Applebee's. Oh man, if you swipe someone's Visa card on the wrong check, you better have a helmet on when you go back there. Because when people are not in charge in their everyday lives, and they go out to dinner, and you, like, as a waiter, you mess up, and you give them an invitation to, like, throw their power at you, you better watch out. But what does Jesus, what does Jesus do with his power? How does he manage and steward God's power? Let me ask it this way. Are you an employer with a bunch of employees? Are you the head of your organization? Are you the leader of your group of friends? What do you do with that power? Like, what do you do with that influence? Do you, like, sort of pimp people out to make your life better? Do you control people? Do you know that your employees right now need better health care, but you're trying to save money for the company? What does it look like to be the most powerful person in the room, and yet your entire existence is for the betterment of other people? Jesus was the most important person in the room, because he's like God, and what did God do in that moment? He used it to serve his disciples. In John 13:4 through 5, John continues. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After he poured out, after he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet. He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Like, Don't miss, don't miss that. Internalize that. Take that question with you this home this week. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what Jesus has done for you specifically. I know that for the world he died for our sins. I don't know what that means for you specifically and how beautiful that idea is to you specifically. But I, I just wonder in your prayer time this week, what would it look like to contemplate this idea of, do you understand what I've just done for you? He asked him, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should have washed one another's feet. I set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then he goes religious and political on them right? He says, you've called me a teacher, you've called me a rabbi, and I will accept that title, and this is how I teach my disciples, my pupils. I give my life for them. You call me Lord, and rightfully so, and this is what I do with my politics. I don't know if you know this or not, the word Lord is not a religious term, it's a political term in the first century. Caesar is Lord, Caesar is in charge of the Roman Empire. Presidents are Lord. Presidents are in charge of the Roman Empire, or their empire. Prime minister- so what is Jesus saying? I'm a different kind of Lord than Caesar is. I'm a different political figure than what you're used to experiencing. I'm a different God. I'm a different Savior than what you've put your hope in. Because I live my life to give up my life let me say it this way. The most powerful person has nothing to defend. The most powerful person has nothing to defend. If you believe that Jesus was God in flesh, and you believe his teachings, and you follow his teachings, then you have to believe that he is the most powerful person that has ever existed. And what did he do with his power? He gave it up. He gave it up. He was quiet when he was on trial with Pilate, he let the uh, Jewish religious leaders nail him and say things that were false. I mean, it was true that he claimed to be God, but false in the sense of they didn't believe Jesus. He willingly gave up his life. He was the most powerful human being that ever existed and yet lived his life as having nothing to defend. Why? Because Philippians 2 is true. He came to this world, not to promote himself, but to empty himself out, friends. And that's beautiful. I know that connects with you because you're human, right? Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, this is the kind of God we follow. This is the kind of God we s- serve here at RCC. This is the kind of God that we're entrusting with our lives here and After we die, and so what does it look like practically for us to journey out to serve our communities, but also explore our world? And so I want to—I already sort of gave you the gospel. Why? uh, Because as Jesus followers, we empty our lives out because our leader did the same, and he's asking us to do the same. Now that doesn't mean we walk around Walmart and tell people to take off their shoes and wash their feet, especially what's been going on now in the news right? It's a metaphor. Relax. It's this idea of what does it look like to show grace, humility, transparency, hospitality to our friends and neighbors. So with the time I have left, I want to share two ways we want to journey out in the future here at RCC. We want to journey out locally. And so I want to talk a little bit about the difference between partnerships versus events. Uh, We want to be a church that partners with specific organizations in our community, Salem and the surrounding areas. We haven't really defined all of those yet. Uh, The strongest one that we have is with Dr. Delahanty in the Salem School District, uh, with the uh, 5K that we do or the mud run, Salem Scramble, I knew I'd figure it out eventually, in the fall, uh, our egg hunt that we're doing in a few weeks. We want to develop deep partnerships and not flash in the pan sort of events that we do once in a while as a means to try to get people to come to RCC. This idea of going to a physical place, like a piece of grass at Soul Elementary to do an egg hunt, to get people to come to our church is sort of like a 90s thing, like pre-social media thing. And so we don't do outreach events hoping that people come to our church. Why? Because you guys are awesome. You're already inviting people, right? You're inviting your friends, and you've been very gracious with social media, sharing our posts, sermons, different things, like that. Like streets and zip codes don't really matter anymore because social media is a thing. The reason why we do outreach events or journey out in our community is to, in a sense, pour ourselves out for the betterment of, a, of other people. That the egg hunt is a gift. That's all that it is. If you want to come to our church after the egg hunt, great. We'll gladly take you. The coffee's hot and the donuts are pretty good. But we don't do events in hopes like, please let them show up at our church. I, I just think that that A is offensive to families that come, and B isn't empowering to the people that go to our church, right? Like, if you care and love your friends, which you guys do, and if this is important to you, like going to see a good movie, the natural response is to invite friends, invite family to to, to find the hope that you've already found whether at RCC or at another church before you came to RCC. So one of the goals that I'm excited about for our church to step into is develop community partnerships in Salem and our surrounding communities. Also, secondarily, to journey out locally is through this idea of church planting. Uh, RCC was planted by Restoration House Ministries about 20 years ago. RHM continues uh, to plant Christian churches throughout New England, And I believe it was last year they just started a residency program of which Andrew Frost, our family minister, uh, came out of that and he landed a job here at at RCC. And what's really cool about this is when you give financially, your dollars go to strengthen those relationships locally in church planning, but also globally through international efforts. What I'd like to do uh, is share a brief video of what God has been up to through Uh, RHM's ministry in planning Christian churches in New England, kind of give you a bigger perspective that God is on the move even beyond uh, RCC.
1: as a follower of Jesus, somebody who's praying every day for God to give me someone to share his love with that I've got this really good news and I just wanna tell people, no, 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 don't run away. Don't freak out, this is really good. I know you've been around some kooky Christians and I may be the kookiest, but it's still good. We're getting this glimpse of heaven, this gift that Jesus came to give us that we will receive when he returns for us. And this glimpse is intended to inspire faith, To give people a reason to keep believing.
0: But God has always had Christmas plans from the very foundations of the earth and they have always included you. But God does not delegate the immense responsibility of rescuing you and me to some other insufficient agent. It looks good in the movies, but it doesn't work in real life. We need more than than a a bumbling second-class angel or the community choir of Whoville. We need more. We need a redeemer, a savior, a a powerful one that God always intended to send. And you might think that it's for someone else, and you might think that it's not applicable to your life, but God made him tailor-made for our lives. All,
1: right, all together. Here we go. Joy to the world. Yeah. Joy.
0: Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You were actually part of those statistics in baptisms and first-time visitors and and offering services on on Christmas Eve. I I share that with you to to tell you sometimes we can have our head buried in the sand and not realize what God's up to in New England. And through your financial dollars and even serving in physical partnership, you're helping spread the gospel uh, throughout New England. I want to close by talking about um, not just journeying out locally, but exploring our world globally. And with our two global partners, MOHI and Lausanne Ministries, I had the opportunity last year to take a sort of an exploratory trip with a bunch of pastors uh, to Kenya to visit MOHI Missions of Hope International. It's, it's a mission that I've been wanting to uh, visit for years. Uh, other churches that I've been a part of have supported this ministry. Uh, MOHI seeks to Bring light and redemption to the Mathari Valley. I mean, we're talking poorest of the poor. And what they do, what they do is they go into these communities, establish schools, get to know the parents, and over time, as the money comes in and they have sustainability, they start churches and find pastors for people uh, to experience uh, the love of Christ. This photo is a picture. I. I I don't know if the teacher was mad at me or not, but I said, hey, and they all looked at me and I snapped a photo. Th- this photo is full of kids that you sponsor at RCC. Th- this is our school that you helped build through your financial generosity. Uh, and the next photo is a photo of Trevor Glines and myself. There's so- the stewards are missionaries. And then these are principals and teachers and administrators at the school that we planted uh, and, and supported financially several Years ago, and we're going back probably next year. Uh, so I want you to think about what does it look like. Is it my turn now to maybe journey out uh, globally and to visit the the mission of Missions of Hope? This is a partnership. This isn't a one and done thing. And if you continually go back every year, every other year, you're just going to continue to deepen that well of relationships. The final ministry. I want to share with you a partnership is in Lasse Ministry. And we've got a team heading to El Salvador this summer. And they are building uh, latrines for people. I don't know if you know this or not. Most of you do. But uh, running water isn't a thing everywhere. And so um, when you have to use, I mean, I'm, try- I'm trying to be respectful, but when you have to use the restroom and take a shower in the same water, it can get really unhealthy really quickly, and so we have a team going to um, El Salvador to start building these latrines to provide healthy water for the folks in El Salvador, and what I'd, I'd like to do is uh, just play a, a video. I've asked Ben and Owen LaGrasse, I love those guys, man, to share their story, uh, even at a young age, that, that, that you can start your journey out today, so here's their story.
1: My name is Ben and I'm 13. My name's Owen Legrasse and I'm 11. Um, ever since um, I was little, I wanted to um, travel out of the country and go help other people, but also um, just getting a different perspective on how God works. And I, w- I wanted to go because I wanted to help the people in there. and. Uh, uh, be exposed to a new language. Um, we're preparing to go on this trip by doing a fundraiser, by painting um, banks um, that will be filled with change and we can cash them in. And we're also praying and stuff. We're gonna go to Berea, but we couldn't because we had to save up for El Salvador. And that's one of the things we, we had to give up. If you're worrying about uh, financial stuff, if, if God really wants you to go, he'll provide the money for you, so don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. And I say you should just pray about it and try to find an answer in what you do in your life, and God will give you an answer, whether it's yes or no, and you should jump out um, on faith, because it's a journey of faith.
0: It's awesome. <laughs> love it. I, I love that. Story and their act of faith. Um, In just a moment, we're going to take communion together as a church. We have four stations two in the front, two in the back, and we have their fundraiser, um, the the (laughs) the giving banks at the tables as well. We also have a handout, a photo of the team, and different ways that you can pray for our team heading to El Salvador this summer. So I'm going to pray, and then we just invite you to take communion and grab a prayer card as well as a giving bank box, fill that up, and bring it back to the hub the last Sunday uh, in March. And let's begin this practice together of um, bettering other people as we pour out ourselves for the good of others. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this vision series and what it might mean to us individually and collectively as a church. Uh, We thank you so much for the opportunity to love the people that we live with in our communities and our neighborhoods, but also the invitation to serve the world like the poorest of the poor the least of these where they don't have running water they don't know when their next meal is going to come from often children young young female children often are left abandoned or sold and that doesn't sit well with us jesus it doesn't sit well with you and so we want to be a church that exists for the good of others locally and globally and lord as we step into this time of communion we just want to thank you for your willingness to use your platform to empty yourself out for the good of the world, that you didn't come to consume, manipulate, control, but you willingly gave yourself up with little to no uh, defense. That's hard for us, Jesus, because we live in a culture surrounded by self-centeredness that we're often unaware of, And so would you begin to teach us what it looks like to journey out, what it looks like in a gospel sense to empty ourselves out for the good of our communities and our friends, our neighbors, and our coworkers. Uh, Thank you for the Enlossy team and the LaGrasse boys um, who even at a young age understand the value of emptying themselves out for the good of a people that they may see once in this lifetime, but will see again on the other side of heaven.